You're listening to Legal Skies, a podcast by the Law Society of Saskatchewan. This is a special series of interviews and discussions with speakers, attendees and guests that attended the ABA Tech Show 2020 in Chicago. This is Season 2, Episode 3, Part 1. My name is Julie Shabawali and I'm the host of the Legal Skies podcast. And I'm recording from the American Bar Association Tech Show, or affectionately known as the ABA Tech Show. I'm here with Shannon Salter, because she's the chair of the Civil Resolution Tribunal, and Colin LaChance from VLEX. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks, Julie. Glad to be here. Me too. Thanks, Julie. So you both are have been in the legal tech field for quite a while. So what were you uh, looking to get from this year's ABA Tech Show? Well, I was invited kind of out of the blue to do two presentations, one on online dispute resolution today and then tomorrow, one on diversity and inclusion. Uh, and I'm really excited about that one as well. And of course, all the rest of the time, I'm busy talking to people, wandering the exhibit hall, attending these presentations. And I think there's something really for everybody uh, at this, this conference. It's my first time here and I'm really excited. Yeah, it's my first time as well, and I've been wanting to come to this one for, for quite some time, just because it has this great intersection of uh, solos and smalls and large firms and the tech companies, but then the the uh, the events and the way that the issues are brought out is, is, is quite unique. It's very different from a lot of uh, conferences that you find elsewhere, and I haven't been disappointed yet. So I think one of the things when practitioners think of legal tech, they think of a lot of things. So you mentioned ODR and diversity and inclusion, and you talked about networking, which I don't think are the main three things people would think of when they think of legal tech. So what do you think um, practitioners should be thinking about when they are exploring this space? I think all kinds of things. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely biased because I come from the public sector. I'm, I'm not the head of a tech startup. And so my perspective is very much focused on how can we make the public justice system more accessible to people? Um, how can we take some of the great things about the startup culture that we see in, in VLAX and so many of the, the startups in the exhibit hall and bring that ethic of you know rigorous user testing, relentless human-centered design to the public justice system so that we can leverage some of this technology and some of these innovations for the benefit of everybody. I think one of the advantages uh, that, that legal tech startups and uh, uh, legacy organizations provide and what the practitioners can take from it is, is uh, an opportunity to examine their internal practices because each of these products or services are intended to provide a solution or a fix or an enhancement to some challenge. So if the practitioner takes what's in front of them and, and turns around and examines their internal process, it may, not, it may be the case that the tech in front of them isn't the thing that solves it, but they've identified something in their process that uh, they can pursue in a different way. So for example, I spent some time downstairs with uh, Joseph, an Australian workflow uh, software company. Just the mere fact of, of allowing a practitioner to understand that there is a, a process to what they do and elements of that process can be uh, enhanced, improved, and so on through tech or checklists or otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's great. So it's a fantastic exposure uh, to look at your practice through a, a, a unique lens, whether or not you, you will find the answer in, in that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you want to think of maybe your problem from a different angle. So as you were saying, workflow, or how can we be more client-centric? So I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to talk um, about the individual work that you've been doing. So Shannon, you, you've been working with CRT, CRT for quite a while. Um, can you tell us a little bit about CRT and kind of what are some 
things that you guys are working on on the horizon? Sure. So I think when I first spoke with you, Julie, we hadn't opened our doors. I'd been appointed by the government to chair this new online tribunal that didn't yet exist. Uh, two years later, in 2016, we opened our doors and we began resolving condominium disputes. Uh, a year later, the government gave us jurisdiction over small claims disputes, $5,000 and under. And then uh, last year, we got jurisdiction over most motor vehicle personal injury disputes. And because we're not allowed to rest, three weeks ago, the government announced that we'd be given jurisdiction over effectively 100% of motor vehicle disputes as um, the government moved away from a court-centric tort model to a, a care-based model. So all to say, it's been a really busy uh, few years. And... Um, our team has also grown. When when I talked to you, I think I was talking to you from my home in North Van. It was just me, and now, uh, you know, four coming up on four years later, uh, we have over a hundred full-time staff and tribunal members, and we're slated to to double that again in the next uh, eighteen months because of this new area of jurisdiction. So, just a time of constant change. And I think if there's one thing my team is used to, it's is change. But we all work remotely around the province, and we've tried to adopt a lot of these kind of uh, startup, uh, I think, best practices I was describing. You know, we're constantly improving, constantly iterating, constantly uh, testing and um, checking back with people to see if we're discharging our mandate. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of very interesting things there, which is really cool. Talking about taking over all the motor vehicle disputes, I think that's that's huge. And then also uh, the expansion of staff, that they're working remotely. I think um, for a lot of people in a legal organization, that's not necessarily the norm. For other organizations, perhaps, but that, so that's really cool as well. Um, so what's what's the reaction been to to that? Because I know for CRT, that's the where it started to the, in the beginning to where we are now is quite different. Um, so how do you think that will that will help the public? Yeah. So, I mean, for people who, who don't know, the CRT is predominantly online. So the idea is that you can resolve any of the disputes I just mentioned from your smartphone, on your couch. We really focus a lot on collaborative dispute resolution and empowering people to participate in their dispute resolution. But we offer adjudication resulting in a court decision effectively or court order as a last resort. Um, and I think one thing that surprised us is that despite the fact that we offer paper and telephone and in-person help, 99.9% .9 of people so far have chosen to use the online services, which I think is a reflection of the idea that if you can design things to look like easy to use, familiar technology, that's where people are right now and that's what they'll choose. Now, those other communication channels aren't going anywhere uh, and we do a lot of things um, that are offline to increase accessibility, but I think that's an important uh, takeaway for other public justice uh, system bodies that are considering implementing online dispute resolution. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a lot of the public using online, which is a great segue to what Colin is doing at VLEX, which is, a, in a short order, online legal research. That's right. Um, and so uh, tell me a little bit more about what's the next steps for you guys at VLEX. Sure. Uh, so VLEX, as a uh, as a global legal intelligence company, we we look at each of those words sort of independently. So global, sometimes people need access to multiple uh, or law from multiple jurisdictions. Uh, the legal intelligence, it's knowledge that goes beyond uh, what you can find in court cases and statutes and regulations and into some of your own resources. So I'd say uh, a significant part of what we've been doing 
uh, in Canada and the U.S. and elsewhere, is making it uh, easier for uh, our users to incorporate more of their own work product into either their research process or into the analysis of that content. So I'll give you two examples. Uh, we have uh, services, and it's available to every lawyer in Saskatchewan through the Law Society uh, uh, resource portal, to a tool called Vincent, which will analyze a document to extract from it uh, citations, topics, and, and other information in order to build a web of related information. So a great example that people use it for is if they've written a factum or a, or a memo, uh, our system can look at the dozen cases that you've cited and say, what about this 13th case that is strongly related to everything that you're talking about? It could be relevant. So it can assist research there. So that's uh, in terms of a retail tool. In terms of where that goes and how that expands, I'll, I'll speak to a project we're doing with the University of Ottawa, uh, the Samuelson Glushko Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic. Essentially, we're working with them to take uh, our tools and our capabilities in order to allow them to create uh, a public interest uh, research portal for communications law. So that means bringing in all of our uh, federal court, Federal Court of Appeal, Supreme Court of Canada, CRTC, the, the telecom regulator, and other related information into a system applying our tools and our you know, machine learning models and so on to help them create something that is actually more accessible for the public to engage with policymakers in that area. So I'd say broadly this is a direction that we're spending more and more time because uh, not everyone can build a legal publishing company, but a legal publishing company can unbundle what it has to let people build what they need. And so sometimes it's in a public interest uh, scenario like that. Other times it's working with a firm to help them uh, marry sort of their internal knowledge management with external stuff in, a, in more of a bulk way. So this is uh, what we're doing a lot of fun things with this. Yeah. So when I hear that, I, I think of more readily available resources in one place. So as a practicing lawyer, if I can go to one place and get all the different rulings or case law or comments that I need, that's very helpful. Well, I'd, I'd actually say it's a bit of the reverse, because sometimes the, the, the point is two places or three places are actually what you need. So Canley, for example, and Shannon on the board of Canley, uh, Canley is the, the quickest and easiest place to get access to the law, like period, full stop. However, Sometimes your, the lawyer's personal limitations, their search methods and so on, may prevent them from getting access to information that's in there. So the uh, availability of multiple tools and multiple pathways to get to the right information can be quite helpful. Uh, and, and particularly if you're able to take something that you pull from one site and pull it into another in order to move more quickly along. Because again, it, it, the presence of a document within a database is, is good and useful, but it only means something if the user can find it when they need it. And so that's why I think it's valuable for lawyers to have access to multiple resources to find this information. That's a very good point. Well, thank you, Shannon and Colin, for being on our podcast today. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Julie. Thank you for listening today. We hope you found the podcast informative and would love to hear your feedback, comments, or suggestions. You can contact us at podcast at lawsociety.sk.ca. Until the next episode, I leave you with an amusing quote by Douglas Adams. I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make as they go by.